Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is Tom Salemi, your host. It is hard to believe, but the uh, OIS at AAO is just a few weeks away. We're going to gather on November 12th at the Planet Hollywood Hotel in Las Vegas. If you have not registered yet, go to OIS.net for agenda information and for registration uh, information. And as you know, we follow a lot of uh, stories at OIS. And one of the stories that perhaps has more chapters than its author would uh, would hope is uh, Avidro's uh, pursuit of corneal cross-linking uh, in the U.S. Uh, David Muller, the CEO, has appeared at our uh, OIS's uh, with an optimistic bent toward uh, getting uh, FDA approval. And it seems as each time uh, the goal post keeps moving forward as the FDA requests more information. Uh, last spring, the FDA had uh, requested more information on the company's uh, NDA application for its uh, riboflavin ophthalmic solution KXL system. And uh, Avidro has, uh, has answered those questions and has uh, resubmitted its NDA to the FDA. So David is uh, coming to OIS again, to, uh, again with, a, with a hopeful uh, story and one that he anticipates will have a, a positive conclusion uh, as corneal crosslinking is a, is a great success outside of the U.S. and uh, has obtained regulatory approvals in other OUS, significant OUS markets uh, it's a matter of time, uh, Vitro feels, before it will be available here in the U.S. At least that's uh, David Muller's hope. So David joins us today to give us an update uh, on the company, uh, not only the uh, NDA, but also uh, it's got some long-term data on its uh, Pixel system, which uh, I find very fascinating. And uh, we talked about a few other things like fundraising and uh, dairy farming. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with David Muller of Avidro. David Muller, welcome back to the OIS podcast. Thanks. Uh, happy to be here, and thanks for inviting me. We've uh, we've been following your story uh, along at uh, at OIS. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, it's probably a longer story than you had hoped. Uh, but when we last uh, checked in with our hero uh, in the uh, in the spring OIS, uh, you had. Uh, had a positive recommendation from an FDA panel uh, for uh, for your system, but uh, but you hit a bit of a hiccup, and you reported that at OIS in the spring. But you had some good news uh, last week. Can you can you bring us up to date on the KXL system and the and the FDA approval? Sure, no problem. Uh, just as a recap, uh, as you pointed out, we did get uh, an, a, a panel recommendation for approval for our system. Uh, but after the panel meeting, the FDA came back to us with really a handful of questions, five or six questions, which really just related to the equivalence of the KXL device, which is our commercial device that we plan on selling in the U.S., and the UVX device, which was actually the device that was used in the clinical trials. The They just had some questions regarding really uh, the beam profile, uh, beam shape, uh, alignment of the system with respect to the patient's eye, all questions that were, uh, in the end, very uh, reasonable questions to answer. And over the past uh, 
several months, four or five months, uh, we've been working with the agency really on a, a very close basis to determine exactly what questions they wanted answered and the equivalence criteria between the two systems. And we developed the, we developed those questions and answers with the agency, and that's what we submitted to them uh, a week or so ago. And do you have, I hate to ask you this, but do you have any anticipation of when you may get some some news one way or the other? I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to jinx sure. you and say good news, but. Right, well, as, as, it's funny, as we, as we get to November, I do have this Groundhog Day feeling. This is the third time in a row we've really filed with the agency around this time of year. And at the end, the, we end up with a, each time with a six-month Padufa date. So they, uh, by statute, they essentially have to provide us an answer by April 15th, I believe, would be the Padufa date. But because there is uh, significantly less work to do on this filing than in our previous resubmissions, we're hoping for an earlier date. But I think, you know, realistically, for planning purposes, we just look at April 15th as our uh, target date. What lessons have you taken away from from this experience? It's it's always easy to for us in the in the industry, especially uh, folks in the media like myself, to sort of point at the FDA and just kind of roll our eyes and say, "There they go again." But right. you know, it's a it's a there's two people sitting on both sides of the table. Uh, as as a as a chief executive and as perhaps a, a member of a board of a company down the road that is coming upon a similar experience, what what lessons have you walked away? What would you do? What would you have done differently? And what would you advise someone else to do differently in this sort of, uh, in this sort of exchange? Sure. Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I think that this was one, uh, you know, I've asked that question to myself uh, a number of times. And unfortunately, there really wasn't much else we could have done. I think where the little breakdown came in is in a place where I think, you know, you would even get acknowledgement at FDA is that because we're a combination drug device, the, the processes at the agency haven't been all that slick with respect to how to move combinations through the process. And there are more and more of those all the time. And I think, you know, if you look at, at even at the congressional level, uh, as the, as the new regs get promulgated for the FDA, they're trying to figure out how to manage combination products better. And I think that, you know, my only, only lesson would be to, I guess, is to work as working through the process try to continue to work with the agency to enhance the uh, enhance the uh, process of working with uh, multiple decision makers as opposed to single decision makers and that's really what caused I think caused our issue that the uh, the channel to channel to approval in a combination product is not quite as straightforward as the channel in a uh, single single department product so to speak and how you've had some success uh, outside of the U.S. with this system? Does it uh, is it add to the sort of frustration that you know you're, you're seeing uh, you're seeing sales outside the U.S. and you're and you're still getting a, a red light here inside? And how do you sort of deal with those those two different experiences? Well, I think you know it hasn't been the most fun experience. I think the not only we but I think patients and the uh, ophthalmologists in the U.S. have. Uh, see this is particularly frustrating when we, you know, we have now have approval uh, in China. Uh, we just got approval there. It's you know fairly odd to get approval in China for the U.S. because that's a pretty rigorous process, also. So it's been a little bit frustrating uh, having this uh, having this huge delay in the U.S. for something which is outside the U.S. 
fairly well acknowledged as the standard of care for keratoconus. Um, but I think at the end of the day, that's uh, you know we've learned in all of uh, the regular regulated products that you just have to be able to put up with that and live with it. I think there's uh, you know one has to be able to live with the frustration. I think the, you know the the good news for us is that we've been able to generate a you know a good business outside the U.S. and provide us a place where we can you know where we can use our platform and uh, you know continue to advance the company. Uh, but it will be a pleasure to finally have it come into the U.S. Though, hmm, I bet. Is as a CEO, um, is the message the same? Because you're dealing with with many different um, um, groups that you need to manage relations with. You have your employees, you have your investors, you have the outside re- regulators. You've got the uh, ophthalmologists or the, uh, who are looking for the system. Is your message consistent for each group, or or do you have to sort of uh, obviously not change your story, but Focus on different parts of the story uh, for each population you're dealing with. Yeah, I think it's the as you point out. I mean, the story is consistent, but each uh, each stakeholder has a has a different issue to uh, that they're dealing with, and and each one presents its, its own difficulties. I think the the stakeholders that we can't it's hard to address that I know are frustrated uh, are the ophthalmologists who really really want to get the hold of this technology. There's not much we can say to them except, you know, we're, we're hoping we're going to get there. I think, you know, the agency, uh, they have their mission, which is, you know, not to support commercialism, but to bring the safest, most effective products to market. So that's one message. And then, you know, clearly dealing with investors is making sure that they understand where we are with respect to both market potential and the regulators to make sure that, as they continue to invest their money, they know they're investing in something that ultimately they'll get a return on. And I think that's probably one of the more you know difficult uh, difficult things to manage because they're not seeing they're not seeing us on an everyday basis. And not uh, it's hard to transmit the the enthusiasm that doctors in the U.S. have for crosslinking unless you're right in the thick of it like we are at the company. So it is a different message for each stakeholder. But, you know, the consistent story across all. We're going to take just a short break from this conversation again to remind you to go to ois.net for information about registration and for the agenda. Our keynote speaker this year will be Brett Saunders of uh, Allergan, which, of course, has been uh, moving aggressively uh, in the ophthalmology space with some uh, interesting uh, acquisitions uh, of companies like Aquasis and Oculeve. So, uh, Brent will obviously have uh, some interesting stories to tell at OIS, and you should be there to hear them. So go to OIS.net to register and find out more information about our upcoming conference. Now back to the conversation. I read recently that you, uh, before you started Avidro, uh, had a, a farm in, in Vermont <laughs> and a dairy farm, and I think you did, did cheese. Did you ever wake up in the morning and, and, and wonder why you uh, gave up the gentleman farmer life? <laughs> no, actually, probably probably just the opposite. I think that <laughs> I, you know, I think I learned the lesson that uh, that I've seen you know repeated over and over by entrepreneurs, which is you do, you're very successful at something, and therefore you feel you're going to be very successful at anything you do if, if it's uh, in the same vein. And so I think that, you know, Summit was a fairly successful experience for me, and I tried to translate that into uh, uh, natural foods. And while it was it was fun and the business itself was uh, top-line successful, uh, there were a lot of uh, 
there were a lot of problems with it that kept me from being bottom line successful. And so I, I was, it was a great experience. I licked my wounds and came back to ophthalmology. <laughs> uh, and uh, and you are having some success here as well. I don't want to just focus on the negatives. Uh, I think you're right. you've got uh, the Pixel system, which is uh, you're beginning to see some long term success there. Can you bring us up to date on that? Sure, it's an interesting uh, full circle experience here at Avidra because for those who remember when we started uh, Avidra back in 2008, the goal was to use microwaves to uh, treat non-invasively to treat low myopes and low astigmatic patients and the like. And time has moved on since then, but we started creating the Pixel system in around 2010 or 2011. The idea would be was to develop a non-invasive cross-linking system that could treat uh, refractive errors, both um, myopia, astigmatism, hyperopia, with the target market being the you know the native uh, amitropes, but also the or amitropes, but also the uh, post IOL patients who always need this little, uh, a lot of them need a little tune-up uh, post IOL, and we started uh, treating patients in a real systematic way just about a year ago. Where we we looked really a GCP protocol to look at uh, the ability to get predictive and stable refractive changes, and so now those patients are now just maturing to one year, and in the range of one and a half diopters or so of of sphere and probably a little bit more than that in astigmatism, we can, with reasonable predictability and very good stability, uh, get these refractive changes uh, in uh, normal corneas. And these the patients are, are seeing well. Uh, we don't have any of the sequelae that you typically would see along with a LASIK. There's no uh, halo or a glare halo because of the natural way that pixel reshapes the cornea. And we see no dry eye because we're not severing any uh, any nerve plexus. And what we've developed now is really a system where eye drops on the eye, light on the eye, and really pretty much the next day you've got most of the refractive changes already in place. So what does this mean long term? I mean, this sounds like an enormous opportunity. I think as, as I revealed in an earlier podcast, I'm a coward and don't want anything done to my eyes that can't be undone. So this is, you know, right. I, I hear this and this sounds like, okay. I might give this one a shot. Uh, do you expect to tap into a, a, a large uh, population of scaredy cats like myself? Well, I think it's uh, the, the scaredy cats and uh, and also just the ones that normally wouldn't think of surgery. When, when it's interesting when we started Avidro, you know, we actually did a lot of market research onto whether people who are not choosing to have LASIK now would choose to have something like this, and. We brought in some very senior marketing people from the consumer side. And one of the interesting things they pointed out was we shouldn't think about Pixel as being a disruptive technology because the market space that we're addressing is essentially untouched now. The patients below two diopters, almost none of those, relatively speaking, get LASIK or PRK. And so we're, we're opening up a new market whose population is actually much larger than the population of, say, two, two diopters and over. Two diopters and under is actually represents, represents more people in the U.S. So I think it's reasonable to think that we should be able to make as big an impact uh, into that market as uh, LASIK is made into the upper market, the higher myopes. So I think world, worldwide number of procedures that one could easily think of getting to is four or five million. I think the, uh, in the the other side of it, though, which is I think maybe even more important, certainly probably initially, 
are these uh, pseudophagic patients who oftentimes have some residual myopian astigmatism that isn't enough to make somebody want to do a LASIK procedure on them, but it is enough so that the patients uh, you know, aren't totally happy with their uh, result. And as we all know, as the this new generation of baby boomers and all that are going on to get to going on for cataract surgery is not the same patient as 30 years ago. These are people with very active lifestyles, and they want to be able to see well uh, post-surgery. And I think an important thing is that as we look at the doctors who are who are accepting, we're starting to bring on the femtosecond lasers for cataract surgery. They're the, a certain group of of surgeons. They're the people that do cornea and a cataract at the same time. They're the very high-end practice, but if you actually look at the volume of cataract surgery that's done, probably 90% of it is done not by that group. It's the, the sort of the average average guy that's churning patients through, and they really don't have a modality that can they can easily tune up those tune up the patients. They're not corneal surgeons. They don't want to buy an eczema laser. They don't want to refer their patients out, and so this is a nice opportunity for them to be able to offer something to their patients without actually having to reach out and market to a new patient group. These are patients that come and sit in their chairs every day, 50% of whom could use a refractive tune-up in at least one eye. So I think it's uh, it's something that really is going to spark a lot of interest in that group uh, as a way to really, as a revenue generator and a, and a patient outcome improvement device. What sort of, uh, we've got obviously AAO coming up, uh, what sort of reception are you expecting there? Are you bracing yourself for uh, a lot of uh, interest uh, in the Pixel system? Of course, people interested in updates of, of uh, KXL as well. Uh, I think it's just starting. I think that, you know, I think that the, we expect to show a lot of the data at, the, uh, at this meeting. We're not actually having a, uh, a big event like we normally do. Um, I think part just because I think it's a uh, it's a little tougher to corral people in Las Vegas than than most places. Uh, so we're probably we're putting that off for for a big big launch introduction uh, for, at ASCRS when we hope to have hope to have approval for the KXL system, and then I think at that time be able to start showing off the Pixel system uh, to uh, potential uh, people of potential interest, and with the idea that hopefully we'll be able to start a Pixel trial uh, in the U.S. next year. So my invitation didn't get lost in the mail. That's good. I'm glad. No, no, no it didn't. <laughs> uh, just final question. I know you can't say much about it, but I know you've been raising money, um, and hopefully you'll have some news on that coming up. Any any comments on, on that experience? And, and how has uh, how have you been able to convey the message regarding all your interactions with the FDA and your updates in Pixel to investors? Is it, is it a story that you, f- you find is selling and that is being received well? Well, yeah, I think fortunately, uh, with the new investors, I think we've been able to present a couple of things, which is no longer is pixel fantasy. When you have one-year results, you really know that if it's pretty good on the first try, you can always make it better. So we've actually had really good, uh, really good response from that side. And also because, you know, we work very closely with our investors, we've been able to share with them in detail uh, the all the correspondence with the FDA and the like. So I think that the they I think that they have been easily convinced that we're on the track to uh, to move this ahead. And I think you know it's a it's an opportunity for them to you know finally begin to see the the barn door so to speak when the uh, uh, with FDA approval coming. 
I think you know the other thing I, I actually like to mention too is the uh, for those who for those who might be interested that for the first time uh, the, the this is international CXL Congress that's been held outside the U.S. for about the past ten years, and it's where all the the new things are highlighted and all the new data is presented, and you know in, t- in anticipation of having approval here at some point in the not too distant future, uh, that Congress has been moved to uh, Boston this year. So uh, I think it's an opportunity for U.S. doctors to not have to travel quite so far to get the uh, update on all the really the, you know, most valid and exciting scientific things that are going on in cross-linking. That will take place in December, early December. December in Boston, it's lovely at that time of year. <laughs> well, okay, okay, don't rub it in. <laughs> I'm here too, so I'm being self-deprecating as we can be. Well, that's great. I'm happy great. to hear it's uh, it's coming to town, and uh, I'll try to make my way down that way. Well, thanks for thanks for giving us the update, uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Sure, thanks a lot, Tom. See you out there. David Muller, thank you for joining us on the OIS podcast. This is actually David's third visit to the OIS podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the Avijo story has been a long time building, uh, but we're looking forward to hearing its conclusion very soon. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have positive news to report at the OIS at ASCRS next spring. But uh, until then, you can meet David and other leaders in ophthalmology at OIS at AAO coming up in just a few short weeks go to ois.net for information about our showcases our two new showcases uh, the public company showcase as well as our drug delivery showcase we'll also have digital companies biotech companies device companies they'll all be presenting and telling their great stories there we'll have a panel of analysts to share their insights on the public markets and of course we'll have our co-chair and founder Emmett Cunningham's uh, State of the Industry. So that's a report that's certainly worth uh, worth seeing, and uh, we'll be happy to uh, to talk to Emmett about that in an upcoming podcast. So go to ois.net for more information about the upcoming conference and to register. So we'll be able to see you in Las Vegas. <laughs>